Uh, I hate that sound so much. <clears throat> Cursed. Cursed. Hello and welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Honda. And this is episode 31. So, Honda... Do you have like anything to recommend to us this week? Yeah, and it's actually something I recommended to you, but I know you're probably not gonna watch it for a while or at all. Okay, you know that's like a very long list of things. <laughs> you recommended so many things. Is it Alice in Borderland? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, it's really good. Like the the production level is really high, and it's like. Battle Royale ish. And if people really like, if people know like quite a few Japanese uh, mangas and animes or like shows, mm-hmm. it's like a cross between Battle Royale and Guns, a show called Guns. I have not heard. What is a Battle Royale? Oh my god. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know what is a Battle Royale. <laughs> no, but Battle Royale is like the show that Hunger Games ripped off of. Oh, so it's like a bunch of people like fighting for something, like survival. I don't know. Yeah, survival and killing each other. So like that's oh. the original. Then Hunger Games ripped it off. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Battle Royale is quite an old show. I think it's like ninety eight. Like nineteen ninety eight. Oh wow. Yeah, it's pretty Gorish. Oh no, I can't with the gore. Okay, yeah. but like it really depends. Gore really it depends on. I me, mean, like. you were okay with you're okay with Game of Thrones, so I don't know where's like your threshold. No, I wasn't really okay with Game of Thrones. Like really? I, I thought you said you watch. I thought you you said you could watch it. Oh, I could watch until like season two. Like I watched until season two, and then afterwards the gore was just. I think it was because it was like gratitude was gore like it, it was just gore for the sake of being gory and then you're okay with like Hannibal so like, I don't know where's okay, your but threshold Hannibal was artistically done so it wasn't oh. like gory gory mm-hmm. like gratitude was gore it was like artistically sure like it was beautiful to look at like it's meant to look beautiful so that sort of like takes away from like the grossness that gore usually like insights from a person mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know but like generally I would like to stay away from gore mm, and it's important it's not very gory there are death scenes but mm-hmm. it's pretty tame mm. but yeah I always can't gauge your threshold anyways. But yeah. Yeah, I, I so can't yeah, gauge a, my own threshold. It's like a cross between Battle Royale and Guns. Oh, that's interesting. Guns is like... Guns is based on a manga anime thing. And I only saw the live action. So like my knowledge is also quite limited. But Guns is like where the person dies. And then suddenly they're in like another world. But then they have like to fight stuff for their survival. So like Alice in Borderland... The the main characters are also like in another reality and then they oh. have to survive. It has your favorite actor, so watch it. <laughs> okay, I will watch I will it. see. I will see. 
Mission Netflix know. party is good. I know, but like it's very hard to explain. Like recently, I have not been in the mood to like watch anything. Like nothing has really yeah, I know what you mean. Piqued my interest. So the only other thing that like somewhat interested me was Bridgerton, but that is solely because I read the books. Like the whole series as like a teenager, but then I watched the show and I didn't even finish it because like it's so different from from the books. So <laughs> like that. Ended up not interesting me. Then I haven't found anything else that interested me. Like the most recent thing I watched was yesterday. I watched the trial of the Chicago Seven because mm. like I was watching a bunch of YouTubers and like they were talking about like their their best movies of twenty twenty and like a few of them put in the trial of Chicago Seven. So I decided to just give it a try to watch because like those kinds of movies are kind of interesting. Cause it's a trial thing. It was really good. Like Trial of Chicago Seven is actually it was surprisingly good. Like I had very low expectations going into it because like two of the actors are co- like comedic actors. There was Sasha Baron Cohen and this other dude whose name I do not know. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, mm, but the story is interesting. Also because it was, um, it's 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 about a trial of. These seven people who were like leading protests, like anti-Vietnam prote- protests in America, mm. and what happens is, um, they all get put to trial, and there's like a lot of like, what's the word for it? Like conspiracy behind it, and corruption. Mm. Like they were being, they were scapegoats essentially. So that was interesting, but yeah, other than that, like I haven't found anything interesting. Like not even a single K drama has interested mm. me, you know. And usually, I watch a lot of K dramas. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I didn't really want to watch anything, but yeah, I didn't want to watch anything too serious either. So like, Alice in Borderland was like just nice. Hmm. Okay. I mean, not to say it's not serious. It's just that I didn't want to watch anything that's too like heavy, like heavy. real life. Okay, I know you. I had a free life. <laughs> you wanted something escapist, like you just wanted yeah. to escape. Yeah. And then it's important it's super escapist because it's like another reality. Today's story is like a really big one, and it's also like really long. <laughs> like the research is super super long, so I picked out the most important parts and like I tried <laughs> to condense as much as I could condense. But just know that this story is like really, really long. There's like a lot of parts to it, and I was like, uh, I could like probably do a two-part series on this. But I was like, uh-huh. let's just try to fit fit it all into like two-part one series. episode. Okay, so um, a lot of other podcasts who have covered this story have actually done like two parts. I think there was one that did a five-part series on this story because there's really a lot of information. Wow. But I condensed it all, mm. <laughs> picked out all the interesting parts, and yeah. So, mm. um, just going to this, one of my favorite types of crime is actually cults. So yes, everyone, we're covering our first cult story today. Today, I will be telling you about the Jonestown massacre. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was thinking about Jonestown. Mm-hmm. 
Um, also because like recently, when you said cult, I was like Jonestown. There are a few, there are a few cults that like really intrigue me. So Jonestown is one that really, really intrigues me. Then um, I've spoken about this before, but the Manson cult. Um, another one that I haven't really mentioned before is Heaven's uh-huh. Gate. Heaven's Gate is. <laughs> It also includes mm-hmm. one of my favorite things, which is oh yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. So, um, recently I downloaded this game on my Switch, and it's called The Church in the Darkness. So this game is actually very inspired by Jonestown. So the the plot of this game is you are an FBI agent, and basically you have to infiltrate this cult. And you're supposed to like get your nephew out. And it's really very difficult because you have to hide from like the people in the cult as well as like guards and everything. And then there are multiple endings. So there's some endings where um, for example, like both the cult leaders are like hostile. So if you, for example, you get your nephew out and you leave the the hostile cult leaders as is, right? They carry on with their like mass suicide plan. It's that kind of thing. There's like multiple endings and stuff. So it's really interesting. And mm. this game is inspired by Jonestown. And it sort of reminded me about <laughs> Jonestown. So I was like, you know what? I guess it's pretty apt to talk about the Jonestown massacre. So Aaron, buckle up. Because this is a pretty wild ride, if I say so myself. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Jonestown, Jonestown is actually just another name um, used to call the People's Temple Agricultural Project, which was a remote settlement in Guyana, Guyana, I think it's Guyana, right? South America. So Jonestown was actually a cult led by a man named Jim Jones. And this is the story of one of the largest mass murder-suicides in American history. So this was actually considered the largest like, casualty thing before 9-11. Mm. To get a better grasp of Jonestown, I think we should take a look at its eccentric leader, James Warren Jones, aka Jim Jones. So Jim Jones was born on May 13th, 1931 in Crete, Indiana. And due to the Great Depression, his family moved to Lynn, Indiana in 1934, where they lived in poverty. So I think it's described as them living, like they lived literally in a shack with like, I think no plumbing or no electricity or something like that. But it was like really bad, like economically not good. Um, He had a very deep interest and fascination with religion. And <laughs> I think Honda, you'll find this very interesting and relevant to you. But he would study people like Stalin, Marx. Mao, Gandhi, and Hitler. Please. <laughs> no, okay. So he, he has a lot of this fascination with stuff. And I was like, wow. It sounds like a sociology student. <laughs> okay, more on that later. I mean, to be to be a great cult leader, you have to know, like, you know, charismatic people and how they are able to attract people. Yeah. And that's a very good point. And that comes up, like, in this story as well. Um, as a child, <laughs> no, no, it really does, and it's quite interesting because okay, so as a child, um, other children actually found Jim Jones to be like really weird because he would like hold. He had this fascination with religion and all these people, but he also had like this fascination with death, and he would hold funerals for like dead animals, 
And he also murdered a, a cat once. I will not get into how he murdered the cat, but he murdered a cat. <sighs> so, yeah. And apparently, there was once where, like, a bunch of German POWs went to his town. He did, like, the Heil Hitler salute. Oh my god, Yeah, he's he's a really weird child, okay? Um, eventually in 1949, Jones married a nurse named Marceline Baldwin and the two moved to Bloomington, Indiana. Um, I would also like to point out at this point, um, Jim Jones was actually ordained in 1957 by the Independent Assemblies of God and once again in 1964 by the Disciples of Christ. So he was a legit minister like he was a legit pastor Mm. in 1951 (laughs) so see student time jones began to attend the communist party usa in indianapolis (laughs) and he grew increasingly frustrated with the way the u.s treated communists (laughs) oh my god yeah i wonder if that place still exists okay so at that point the US was like really cracking down on communists which was why like he was super unhappy yeah um so in a light mod mm. like he literally had a light bulb moment um Jones actually figured out that the best way for him to show his marxist ideals was through the church <sighs> where this is going so in 1952 he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church. And later, he cited that he left the church because they would not allow black people into the congregation. He also saw Mm. that faith healing services attracted crowds of people and realized that if he did the same, he would be able to like, you know, line his pockets, get more finances. So in 1956, Jones held a religious convention from June 11 to 15 and got a famous preacher, Reverend William M. Branham, to speak. So because of that, the convention was a huge success and he was actually able to start his own church, which he went to name the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. First of all, (laughs) that is a long ass name. Second of all, why full gospel? Like, was there a half gospel? I don't know. And (sighs) while researching this story, there was this part of it that was so frustrating to me because like in hindsight, right? We know that Jonestown was like this big tragedy and he was the leader of this big tragedy. But he actually did Mm -hmm. like like, he actually did some good. And, like, it really annoys me that... Okay, you know what? I'm just going to tell you what he did. Because, like, I was researching it and I was like, Dear God. Um, Jim Jones actually did a lot for, like, racial integration in the 60s. So, Jones's church was very firmly integrationist. Mm. So, he he really emphasized a lot about Mm-mm-mm. bring like allowing black people into his congregation so he welcomed people from all ethnic groups um there's also this thing where apparently as a child um i think because of the great depression era whatever his father actually 
his father actually ended up um I think he was a part of the Ku Klux Klan either that or he had some connection with them and um Jim Jones used to get into like these like fights with his father because apparently once Jim Jones like brought a black friend over and the father didn't allow him into the house and like Jim Jones was like bro like you racist bro yeah Mm. So Jim Jones, Jim Jones, Jim Jones was like really big on like racial integration and racial equality, and this is also something that ties in later with the People's Temple. Um, Mm-mm. Jim Jones also worked to racially integrate other churches, restaurants, the Indianapolis Police Department, and even the Indiana University Health Methodist Hospital. And when swastikas were painted on the homes of black families, he would actually go out and offer these families comfort and support. And he would also set up sting operations to catch restaurants who refused to serve black customers. And he even snitched on American Nazis to the media. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And in 1961, he was actually accidentally placed in a black ward at a hospital. And when they tried to move him, he refused to leave. And he even went so far as to like make the beds and empty bedpans of the other black patients. And all these actions eventually culminated in like political pressures forcing the mm. hospitals to desegregate. Yeah, he did a mm. lot. And I was like, seriously, like kudos for this part of him, but everything else, Maybe. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing pictures of like his like, church goers and they were like, you know mixed yeah it's not like all white or something like that yeah which yeah Um, that was like one of the striking features when i saw pictures yeah um you'll you'll get to hear more of it later because okay also um one of the things cults do in order to get members and make members stay is they always reach out to people who are like broken or marginalized and whatever and that's how they sort of like get these people to join. So he, I mean, I don't know, maybe he really genuinely cared for black people and he wasn't like having an ulterior motive or he could actually have had an ulterior motive where he, you know, he wanted these, he showed support to these people in order to get their loyalty so he could start his cult. Because you reach out to a group of people that is being marginalized and like attacked by society, they are when they see kindness from you, they're obviously gonna go. So there's that. Um. Okay. Woo. Jim Jones, <laughs> man. <laughs> um. At this point, I think after hearing all these good things we've done, we need to remind ourselves that we don't like this man. So here's a reason not to like him. So not to like get money to fund this church, he actually imported monkeys and sold them door to door. So uh, yes, we hate this man. <laughs> as a pet? Yep. As pets. I mean, there was a monkey boom like among celebrities, wasn't it? Yep. Didn't um, Michael Jackson have a monkey too? He had a monkey. Jonestown also had a pet monkey. Was it a chimpan- chimpanzee, right? It was a chimpanzee. It- I think he sold chimpanzees actually. And uh, uh. yeah... The monkey didn't make it. I'm sorry to everyone. Spoilers. The monkey didn't make it. Why? 
you uh, will uh, find <laughs> out later why the monkey didn't make it. Okay. <laughs> you will put two and two together because I didn't write it down, but you will put two and two together as to why the monkey mm-hmm. didn't make it. Um. Okay. Here's the other thing. Jones also adopted several children of colour and he called it his, like, called his family a rainbow family. And he actually encouraged members of oh, the okay. temple to adopt orphans from Korea. Because, okay. you know, Korean War at that time. Yeah. So, he actually, yeah, he, I think he... Naming um, a very rainbow family. <laughs> I know. In hindsight, it's kind of problematic. It's very... What's the word it for is. it? It's like commercializing it. Like, that's not why you should be adopting, like, children. It's like, doesn't feel genuine. Yeah, it doesn't feel genuine. See, we can always doubt this man. So, he actually had, um, I think just half Native American, a half Native American um, adopted child. He also adopted three Korean children, but he only had one biological child. Yeah, mm, he had okay. one biological child that he named Stephen Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, okay. And in 1961, um, Jim Jones and Marceline were the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child. Okay, well. They named him Jim Jones Jr. That's a terrible name to have, like. <laughs> years later after the fact <laughs> I don't know I was reading about this and there's something so performative about it like your own biological child you don't name him Jim Jones Jr but like this black child that you're like the first white couple to like adopt you name uh, the child yeah. Jim Jones yeah there's something very performative about it right it's not just me mm. okay anyway performative so- is performative the word oh <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It feels... <coughs> okay, never mind. Let the story go on and then everyone can formulate their opinions on Jim Jones. Let us know if you think he's a genuine dude who, like, actually cared about people of colour and, like, children. Uh. Mm. So, there's actually a lot, a lot about Jim Jones, but we're going to jump to the People's Temple because, like, the story sort of, like, intersect here. So, the People's Temple was actually... Like, their teachings were mostly based on, like, biblical and, like, Christian revival movements, like, more than Marxism. And by the late 60s, the church was actually growing so rapidly that he began to open branches in cities like LA, San Francisco, San Fernando. Yeah, like, all these major cities. And Jim Jones was actually very involved in the political scene, to the point where the church was one of the reasons George Moscone, Moscone won mayor in San Francisco. Like, they were that powerful. And he also met, like, political figures and even First Lady Rosalind Carter. <laughs> yeah, this guy was really up there. I just, can you imagine being these people and, like, holding Jim Jones to, like, high regard because of like all the stuff he's been doing only to like find out later that he's actually a terrible person yikes however um because the church was so like open 
um, they were obviously very, very mm-hmm. criticized. So people attacked them. Um, they would paint like swastikas in the church and even like send dynamite to the church itself. Um, in 1973, the media was starting to get very critical of the People's Temple. So the People's Temple was just like, all right, you know what would be great? Let's move to Guyana. So one of the reasons why um, they picked <laughs> Guyana was the fact that, is it Guyana or Guyana? I feel like it's Guyana, no? Guyana, right? Dang, English is such a difficult language. Okay, so one of the reasons why they picked Guyana was because Guyana had a pretty large indigenous population and they also had several black people in government. So Jim Jones felt that it would be a safe harbour for his people. Here is why. Because over 70% of the temple were black people. There were 460 black women, 231 black men, 138 white women, 108 white men, 27 mixed-race women, 12 mixed-race men, and 23 people listed as others. There was 13 women and 10 men. Mm. Yeah. I feel like when you hear things about cults, right? Like, there's, there's always this joke where people will say like, oh, you know, this is such a white person thing. You know, but like... I was also pretty astonished to find out that the majority of um, his members and followers were actually black people. And this goes back to the whole thing about how cults attract people and keep people. Like, they always go for the people who are broken. And that's how... And, like, they always offer them, like, safety and, like, like a better life. Mm -hmm. So, out of that desperation to leave their old lives, right? They join these cults. Mm. And that's like the sad thing about cults. Joining cults is just really sad. Because they always prey on the weak. And that's just like, it's really very heartbreaking for me. Mm. Um, After several years of building Jonestown, in 1977, Jones and several hundred members finally moved. But there was a problem. Okay, there were over 900 people there by 1978. So in one year, there were over 900 people. And Jonestown was not built, nor was it equipped to handle so many people. Jones kept promising his people, like the members, that Jonestown would be a paradise for them, but was actually far from it. Members were made to watch... (laughs) Honda, your saucy brain might light up at this. So members were made to watch Soviet mm-hmm. propaganda. <laughs> and instead of a school curriculum, Jones taught about Soviet alliances, revolutions, and enemies. He would also tell people about mercenary, mercenaries, mercenaries who were coming, sent by a former temple defector, Tim Stone. So, um, remember Tim Stone. He comes up pretty later there's actually this whole other thing about Tim Stowen and I'll just give like a very brief thing about him mm-hmm. later members worked six days a week from 6.30 in the morning to 6 in the evening with only an hour's break for lunch in between after the working day members would have activities and once again 
more classes on socialism. So like, woohoo, truly was a paradise. <laughs> um, there was a there was very tight control on media, so much so that if they wanted to watch anything, a staff member had to be present in order to make sure that what they were watching was like appropriate. Um, Jones also frequently discussed the news and by discuss I mean he literally analyzed the news, interpreted it by himself and then told the members what to feel about it. And he would broadcast these readings day and night. Can you imagine trying to sleep and this guy is just talking about <laughs> how much he freaking loves people like Kim Il-sung, Robert Mugabe and Joseph Stalin. Yeah, so he would uplift all these socialist leaders, <laughs> but he would always talk about how US, the US was a villain, like a capitalist villain. <laughs> um, Jonestown's only access to the outside world was through radio. So here's the thing about Jonestown. Um, you were allowed to join Jonestown, but you were not allowed to leave Jonestown. Furthermore... Jonestown mm, was not mm, self-sufficient. So the land in on which Jonestown was built had actually very poor soil. So they couldn't like grow their own crops. So because of that, they had to actually import commodities. So members also lived in very small communal houses and sometimes ate meals that like only consisted of rice, beans, greens. And only sometimes they had access to like meat and eggs. So it's just like these very small, mm. very like meager meals. But this is like these very small and very like, how do I explain? They're not very high in calories, but they had to also work physical labor. So it's just like not looking very good in this paradise that was meant to be Jonestown. Mm. And because of this, like, People were actually plagued by like severe diarrhea and high fevers. So health-wise, it was also not very good over there. Um, they also had a system mm-hmm. of punishment, as is with most of these oh, cult organizations. So to discipline members who strayed. So by straying, I mean like they question Jim Jones or they try to defect. Um, they would actually imprison these people in tiny plywood boxes. Like, they're really very small. Like, imagine oh, no. a coffin. Yeah, imprison them in tiny plywood boxes. And for children, they would actually force children to spend a night hung upside down in a well. So this is just like tools. So they did a lot what more. The? There was, yeah, there was also like physical beatings and stuff like that. So it wasn't very good. Um, members would try to defect were actually drugged and there were always armed guards patrolling at all times to ensure that people conformed to the rules of Jonestown. So more than mm. looking like a paradise, it seemed to be almost like this military zone. Um, this part is like actually mm. really sad. So children were actually sent to communal care and will only see their parents for a very short time at night. So children were separated from their parents. And I think one of like the reasons this could be was because, you know, it's easy to indoctrinate the children. Yeah. And mm, this indoctrination, yeah. um, you'll see later. 
um, premarital sex was also banned, but Jones had multiple male <laughs> and female partners. However, and this part was really funny to me. However, he said that he actually hated doing the do with other men and only did it for them to connect symbolically with him. I don't know about you, but like symbolic to me would be yeah. like, I don't know, holding a rock or something together and like symbolically feeling connected, not like literally connecting yourselves. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It gets I don't want to imagine. Like, he's not even doing it for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, but no, here's the thing. Like, he had multiple partners. So, what goes on? Okay, he also claimed that he was the only true heterosexual. Huh? Yeah, he was the only true heterosexual on Earth. On Earth? What the? Yeah. Jim Jones, my man. I don't know what you're on. But, <laughs> this ain't it, sir. Um... If you're wondering how the town was like financially stable, right? It was because members like literally signed off their assets to to like Jonestown willingly. And like <sighs> I think there was also an investigation and they got 75 people and they asked them like, hey, blink twice if you're being forced into it. And like all 75 of them said blink that twice. they were willingly doing it. So that was how deeply mm. indoctrinated um, they were. And if you're wondering, like, why they were so indoctrinated, well, um, Jim Jones studied Hitler. And he also studied this other man called, um, what is it? Father Divine. Mm. So Father Divine is actually, oh, okay. like, he was a black evangelical preacher, but he was mm. also, like, like a cultist you know like he also sort of like led a cult Mm -mm -mm. and father divine actually told him um in order to get his members um they he had to find an enemy and to make sure they know what the enemy is so in that way like everyone you know comes together and it's just like easy to manipulate them yeah this jim jones guy is just Mm -mm. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I? Okay, yes. Um, he was the only true heterosexual. Uh yeah. Oh wait, sorry, no, not that part. <laughs> Why did I go back there? Yeah, so people were like really <laughs> signing off. <laughs> they were really so hung up on the heterosexual <laughs> It's so weird. That's why. Okay, so people were giving him the assets willingly. Okay, like signing off literally everything to this man. Okay, by 1978, <laughs> Jones reported that his health was rapidly declining. So that year, he had a lung infection, mm-hmm. but he went and told everyone that he had lung cancer in order to gain sympathy. Yeah, to gain sympathy and get their loyalty. And... He was also abusing barbiturates, stimulants, and valium. So, like, big yikes. In meetings, he would complain about having strokes, high blood pressure, temporary... Sorry, temporary (laughs) blindness, and, like, losing a lot of weight. So, he claimed that he lost, like, 30 to 40 pounds. But it's funny because after his death, he was actually quite overweight. Okay, but 
even though he was like claiming that he had like high blood pressure, temporary blindness, or whatever, 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 he actually did have a lot of undiagnosed illnesses because towards the end, right, his speech actually began to slur and he couldn't even finish his speeches over the mm. um and you know like as i mentioned before he was actually abusing drugs um a lot of these times he was using drugs in order to keep him going so uh. health was actually in a really really bad state um but at this point also there was actually a lot of problems surrounding the temple so Remember, I mentioned a Tim Stowen in the beginning. So, short mm-hmm. story. Tim Stowen, right? Um, he and his wife actually had a child named, I think, John Stowen. And what happened was, um, Jim Jones and Marceline um, adopted their son. But what happened was, um, oh. Tim and his wife eventually defected. And there was like this whole court custody thing where he was trying to get his son back. So that's where Tim Stone, like, he plays oh. a role. And like, the thing is, Tim Stone, um, Jim Jones used him as a source to instill fear into his people. So he would say that Tim, like, um, Tim Stone would come with like mercenaries and stuff to like attack. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so he basically made Tim Stone like an antagonist. But um, what happened was, because family members had like no contact with okay family members back in the u.s had no contact with family members mm-hmm. at the temple um tim stowen was like we have to do something about this so he had actually been sending like white papers to congress and stating like and these family members were stating their grievances regarding jonestown to congress mm-hmm. and congress <laughs> to congress and they even formed a group, by the way. Do you want to guess the name of the group? Uh, okay, I'll just tell you, okay? Because it's, it's the best name I've ever heard, okay? The group is called Concerned Relatives. Capital C, capital R. That's what they were called. That's it? Yep. That's what... Of what? Concerned relatives of what? <laughs> They're just concerned relatives. <laughs> concerned relatives in what? the group. Concerned relatives. So basically, these concerned relatives were basically concerned about their relatives in Jonestown. And on April 11, 1978, they actually compiled documents into a packet titled Accusation of Human Rights Violations by Reverend James Warren Jones. And they sent it to the press, members of Congress, and even to the temple itself. So, spoiler, the temple obviously shot back with lawsuits. But, yeah. They also sent an affidavit detailing the living conditions and crimes by the temple. On November 1, 1978, Leo Ryan, which is quite funny because his name is Leo, like, like Lion and Ryan. Like. Oh, my God. So, Lion, Lion. Okay, so... Leo Ryan, okay. who is a representative of California's 11th Congressional District, announced that he will be visiting Jonestown. His interest mm. was um, piqued because of the allegations by the concerned relatives, capital C, capital R, the organization, concerned <laughs> relatives. 
as well as this part is interesting as well as after the mutilated body of a temple member was found on train tracks on October 5th, 1976. And Leo Ryan was actually uh-huh. friends with the victim's father. And furthermore, there was a tape recording found that revealed uh-huh. that the victim was trying to defect from the temple. So very suspicious. Something was definitely going on mm. behind the scenes. So on November 14th, Leo Ryan flew along with a delegation which included his legal advisor and several reporters. They eventually reached Mm -hmm. Jonestown on November 17th. They were welcomed warmly by the members of the temple. Jones had actually rehearsed Mm -hmm. with the members on how to make it look like mm. everyone at the temple was happy and everything was fine. Interesting, right? Yeah. I was like, holy shit, this dude. So that night, Leo Ryan and some of his delegation were treated to a musical reception at Jonestown's main pavilion. And this once again comes in with this whole idea of like a performance. Like, you know, you put up like a musical and everything, everything seems like jolly and mm. good. It like helps to mask the darkness underneath. Actually, feels like a communist country. Yeah, no, because he he meant it to be like a you know like this little communist little town that kind of thing. You know how like North Korea does that like those like performances of how yes. and they all look happy and stuff. Yes, exactly like that. So that was what. <laughs> He wanted to show to Leo Ryan. So everything was actually fine. <laughs> like everyone was having like a grand time. When suddenly the NBC mm. reporter that was there with Ryan. So this reporter's name is Don Harris. Suddenly received a note. So this is what the note read. Dear Congressman, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby. Please help us get out of Jonestown. Yeah. It had been Vernon Gosney who had passed the note and he had mistaken Harris, the reporter, for Congressman Ryan. (laughs) So remember remember how I mentioned about how children were separated from their parents and like, you know, this is like a, a... really good mm-hmm. tool to indoctrinate children, right? Yeah, because a child actually saw this note being passed and immediately went and oh. like told other temple members. Yeah. So it's like that. It's very... It's like... You know how they say in Nazi Germany the children were so indoctrinated that if their parents even spoke a little bit about the Nazis, the children would snitch on them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. very reminiscent of that. So after reading the note, that was when um, Congressman Ryan realized that something was actually very, very wrong about this community. So the next morning, Marceline, uh, which is Joseph's wife, um, she actually gave reporters and members of concerned relatives a tour of the settlement. So all these people came. And she gave them a tour. And once again, this whole thing leads to the idea of performance. 
So eventually, it was time to leave. So Congressman Ryan's delegation, along with several defectors, all stepped out of Jonestown on a dump truck together. Mm-hmm. Um, Congressman Ryan and the representative of Guyana's Ministry of Information, so this person's name is Dwyer, actually stayed behind to gather any other defectors. Suddenly, one of the temple's loyalists, Larry Layton, said he wanted to defect as well. So this fellow was just like, hey, I'm going to leave too. (laughs) But when he said that, all the other defectors, right, they were like, something's not right. Like, this this is very suspicious because this guy is a loyal dude. Like, he freaking, I guess, worshipped the ground Jim Jones walked on. Mm. So... The dump, um, sorry, the dump truck left when suddenly a temple member, Don Sly, grabbed Congressman Ryan while wielding a knife. Others rushed to help mm. Congressman Ryan, and like thankfully he was able to remain unhurt. Immediately, Dwyer was like, "Sir, I think it's best that you leave now." So Congressman Ryan got on the truck. And he left. So the thing is, right? Um, the delegation, and like, so the delegation came with like some defectors. Um, they were all mm-hmm. meant to leave on this nineteen person, like nineteen passenger plane, but because now they had more defectors, they had to get a second plane. However, when they arrived mm-hmm. at the airstrip, the planes had not arrived, so they had to wait until all the planes came. Then at 5.10pm, they began to board the planes. So remember Layton? Larry Layton? The dude who suddenly jumped uh-huh. on and said like, Hey, I want to defect too. Um, he got on the second plane. And as the plane reached the end of the airstrip, he got up and began to fire a handgun, wounding Bagby and Gosney, who were the people technically... Like the whistleblowers, the one that sent the note to um, mm-hmm. Congressman Ryan. So he wounded them um, before he was eventually subdued. Meanwhile, on the other plane, this was the 19 passenger one, the first one that came, uh, a tractor suddenly appeared with a trailer attached to it. And this tractor was driven by the members of the Red Brigade, which is basically the security squad of Jonestown. When the tractor neared the flight, members of the squad began to shoot with shotguns, handguns, and rifles, while two other shooters circled the plane on foot. Interestingly, the timing of this shooting coincided with the one happening on the plane by Larry Layton. It's all happening at the same time. Um, The first few seconds of the shooting was actually caught on tape, but the cameraman unfortunately did not survive. Several Mm. delegates also did not survive and Congressman Ryan was shot over 20 times, ultimately killing him. Yeah, it's really... It's crazy because the thing is... Congressman Ryan actually kept telling Jim Jones that he was going to give like a positive report about Jonestown. Like mm. how true this was, um, 
I'm not sure, but he kept saying they will, you know, <laughs> give like a positive one. And I think in a way, Congressman Ryan was trying to defuse the situation. You know, you you tell Jim Jones that you're going to give um, you're going to give a positive review, so you know he doesn't do anything drastic. But as you can see, it backfired. Mm-hmm. So while all of this was happening at the airstrip mm. in Jonestown, Jim Jones made a broadcast asking members to come to the pavilion. So this is what Jones told the people. One of these people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going <sighs> to shoot that pilot and down comes the plane into the jungle and we had better not have any of our children left when it's over because they'll parachute in here on us. He told the members that the Soviet Union, who like they were apparently in communication with to have like a large exodus too, so they were going to move to the Soviet Union, would no longer accept them due to the airstrip shootings. So the only other option was to... Yeah... The only other option was to mm-hmm. commit revolutionary suicide. So that's what he urged the members to do. And eventually, the Red Brigade came back and the armed guards surrounded the pavilion. So before that, AIDS had actually prepared a large metal tub with grape flavor aid. Flavor aid, not mm-hmm. cool aid. <laughs> Easy to confuse, but it's not Kool-Aid. It's flavor aid. So it's like knockoff Kool-Aid. Which they poisoned with Valium, chloral hydrate, cyanide, and Benergan. So the reason why um they had access to cyanide, and they actually had like a lot of cyanide, was because um Jim Jones actually got a jeweler's permit to import cyanide because he said that they were going to clean gold with it, I think. I think it was gold. But basically to clean something with it. So that's why they were able to like import cyanide. Mm. Oh, this next part is like really heavy. So like hang in there, everyone. So the first member to take it mm. was Ruletta Paul and her one-year-old infant. A syringe was placed into the child's mouth and then the mm. poison was injected into it. Then Ruleta did the same. So the first ones to take the the concoction, the poisonous concoction, was actually mothers with babies. They sent all the children in first. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, in children, the poison would kill them in five minutes. So babies obviously less. And for adults, it would take about 20 to 30 minutes for the poison to kill them. So some people, and this was... an agonizing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's actually this one part where Jim Jones basically said that like, don't be afraid of all the screaming. Like, I think it was a very painful death. Yeah. Uh, I've listened to the audio before. It's really... Oof. So, 
one of the um the survivors was basically saying that some people were hysterical others were just like walking numbly i think at that point some of them like just i guess mentally not there anymore um mm-hmm. those who tried to leave were actually confronted by the guards so it was either they consumed the poison or they get shot by the guards either way none of them were going mm. to leave the premises alive Jones oh the chimpanzee died <laughs> sorry sorry to everyone who was wondering about the chimpanzee <laughs> sorry man sorry. <laughs> mm. so um the thing with Jim Jones so Jim Jones also died um he didn't die by consuming mm-hmm. the poison he they actually found his body in like a chair at the pavilion with a gunshot wound to his head so he shot himself hmm yeah mm. in a way it's like so infuriating because he took the quickest way out so many of yeah. his followers had to spend like minutes agonizing in pain as like this poison slowly killed them and he just you know a bullet and he's out and did he say when he died um i think it was after was it after i can't remember after everyone else took the poison i think so but it was on that day itself. Mm. It was on that day. Uh, okay. Wow, it's just very reminiscent of Hitler. Yeah. Dang, this guy. Oof. Um, the thing with Jim Jones, right? Um, and this whole thing was, before this day, he actually held several drills called the White Knight. So during this drill, um, like. Flavor aid was passed out, and people were, and essentially everyone there, all the members of Jonestown, had to practice drinking the poison. And okay, yeah, so they would drink the poison, and then they would wait about 20-30 minutes, and then when nothing happened, he'd be like, "Gotcha, this is a test of loyalty." Oh so, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. and. During this time, right, during this um, practice sessions, he would actually give them like four options. So they could either flee to the Soviet Union, they could commit revolutionary suicide, stay in Jonestown and fight, mm. or flee into the jungle. Yeah. Out of which, I think people are either going to choose co- um, revolutionary suicide or stay in Jonestown to fight because, you know, they were so mm. indoctrinated and like their loyalty was so much to Jim Jones that, you know, they were not going to like flee or run away. And also like, mm. um, when Jim Jones said that, hey, we're, we're going to commit revolutionary suicide, several members were actually like coming forth and like praising him and like literally singing high praises for Jim Jones. And at one point, Jim Jones was like, okay, I'm um, sorry, dudes, but uh, we gotta hurry this up. Like, he was literally, like, trying to, like, <laughs> get through the suicide part faster. Um, yeah, so, as I mentioned before, uh, he studied Hitler 
and Father Divine in order to control his people. And mm-hmm. the sad thing about this is it's unsure how many people thought that this was just another drill and how many people knew that um. this was the actual thing. So the adults actually watched as the children died one by one because they were the first ones to take the poison. Mm, yeah. Um, some members were also found with needle marks, but according to the coroner's report, like it cannot be absolutely said that they had been injected forcefully or if they were given something mm. to increase the the quickness of the poison working in them. So mm. on that day in Jonestown, 909 people lost their lives. 304 were children under 17 and only 33 people survived. And that's the story of the Jonestown mm. massacre. Yeah. Round of applause. Have you heard the audio? Um no, I have not. I am uh, too scared. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of heavy. Like um it was the part where they were drinking the the poison. And there was even like you can hear a kid in the background saying, "I don't want to." Oh And God. yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's quite hard to hear. I mean, the expression "drink the cool it came from Jonestown. Yep, it did. Also, the song "Ultra Violence" <laughs> by Lana Del Rey is also inspired by Jonestown. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a just... lot of shows are inspired by Jonestown. Yep. Yep, a criminal mindset. An episode, something similar. Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's so tragic, you know. And like, I think over four hundred bodies were like unclaimed, and it's just uh... okay. The thing is, like, I think as the flight was taking off, one of the reporters managed to get a picture of like. The massacre and like that's the picture you will see on the mm. internet. Uh, we'll post it on Wednesday. <sighs> yeah, um, but it's just horrific because if you look at the pictures and like I think um, when like the what's po- the police when it finally went there, um, they were talking about how it was just like bodies on top of bodies on top of bodies. So they would like clear like the first layer of bodies, and it'll be like more bodies underneath, and mm. it's a lot of people like refer to it as like a mass suicide, but um, mm. other people argue that the correct term is a murder suicide because in a way, um, they were sort of murdered. Like these people are, you cannot blame them. To a degree, mm. like you, you cannot blame them for believing in something and for believing that they had hope in something. Yeah, and even um, was it Larry Layton? Yeah, even Larry Layton, eventually he was found, uh, not guilty in court, but by the Guyanese police because he was brainwashed. Mm. Yeah. So that was, that was Jonestown. Hopefully, I. Did it justice? Because there's a lot mm. of things 
that go on that like went yeah. on with this case. Yeah, like as you were saying, like as you were saying the story, like I got reminded about all the other points that I forgot about, like Father Divine and everything. I, I remember mm. like reading a post about how you know he went to Father Divine for inspiration. Yeah, he did. Or like, mm. I think did he try to like copy like the way he said his sermons or something? I think he did. Or something like that. I can't remember. I feel I don't know if it's James Jones, but I feel like the way he says sermons is almost like a black preacher ish. Mm. Like the way mm. he he was so passionate in like saying and delivering his lines. So I think mm. he got that from Father Divine. If I'm not wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, his whole thing was about attracting and keeping people in his congregation, and the very fact that he focused so heavily on like integration, like. We showed that he was really targeting mm-hmm. a specific group of people. Yeah, I I got that vibe. Like for me, mm. it felt like he was intentionally. Maybe because I'm re- maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's just like my general distrust and dislike of this man. But um, to me, it felt like he was he was really targeting one racial group. And like he managed to succeed. <clears throat> yeah, I think he found his like niche, niche market. He found his niche. Yeah, he did. And he knew exactly what to do. Like, um, he saw that all these like faith healings or whatever was working with Seventh Day Adventist. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing in order to like you know get money because people flock to these kind of things. And you know, you you bring. Mm people to this to this land to a foreign land and you tell them like hey down here we are equal like we are racially equal i bring you here because i think that you will be safe here there won't be anyone like painting swastikas on your door Mm. there won't be anyone um throwing you out of restaurants or churches for the color of your skin like people are going to go there and then you have so much faith in this man yeah. that even when he spews bullshit, you're like willing to overlook it. Yeah, wow. This case was just like... Mm. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Um... <laughs> now I feel like watching a documentary about it. <laughs> uh, yes. I hope everyone liked this episode. It's pretty long because this case is pretty long. When you're recording now, the time is like 1 hour 17 minutes. (laughs) Hopefully I can edit it down (laughs) so that you know it's not super long. It doesn't feel that long. Oh, thanks. This is my amazing storytelling skills. Mm, Sure, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HGU Podcast. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. 
you can also email us at hiddenamongustree at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Also, um, you might want to throw out that Kool-Aid you have in your fridge. Just to be safe. <laughs> Just throw it okay. out. <laughs> Kool-Aid is going to come for you, Chris. <gasps> but, okay. Never mind. Joke wasn't gonna work anyway. What? Okay, bye, bye, everyone, for real. Bye, <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs>